So we're talking about some essential skills, essential beliefs to follow Christ. Um, biblical literacy, biblical worldview, biblical application is are the are the three pieces in order for us to follow Christ and then and not fall into the the lies and the deception that Satan uses in our culture. And we're using the Apostles' Creed as as the um, identifying the essential beliefs that come from Scripture. Let's say it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the spirits in hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Last week we talked about, I believe in God, the, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. This week we go into talking about Jesus. And the first part of the Apostles' Creed that identifies who he is and the role that he plays. And then it goes into a long description of his work. It's really important who has the wheel, isn't it? Who has the steering wheel? <laughs> it's important. When I was teaching my oldest son, Andrew, to drive, we came to the corner of Grove Road coming from Sleepy Hollow to li at, at the corner of Library Road. And there's a light there, and it was red. But you could turn right on red. And so Andrew started to turn right, and I said, I was sitting in the most vulnerable, worst place that you can, a student driver behind the wheel who has the pedals and you don't. <laughs> and, I, and I felt him start to pull out. I said, no, 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 no. And he did. He turned right and, and, and car, there were cars coming. And I said, pull over. And we pulled over. I said, when I say no, you stop. If I say don't, I'm in charge. You might be behind the wheel, but I'm, I'm the one telling you what to do and what you can't do. So get out from behind the wheel because this lesson's over. And he looked at me and he said, but dad, I knew I could make it. And I did. And I said, no, we were saved because of the awareness of the drivers that were coming. It had nothing to do with your wisdom. Get out from behind the wheel. How often in our lives do we do the same with God? He gives us instructions, but we think we can do it a different way. We think we can because we haven't fully made him Lord. It makes, it matters. It, 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 a lot has to do. It's important who has the wheel. There's a lot resting on making Jesus Lord. And so we're going to deal with this phrase. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. 
So pull out your outline and open, and you're going to need your Bibles. I want you to turn to that scripture. Part of it is our memory verse in Colossians chapter 1. Beginning with verse 15, as we, as we begin to look at what does it mean to live with Jesus as divine Savior and Lord? What it, 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 we're going to get the, in the intellectual piece, we're going to get the understanding of the truth, but, but what does it mean to let him have the wheel and live with him as Lord? If you have a, the ESV Bible, there's a heading right above the scripture that says the preeminence of Christ. Pay attention to what this passage says that identifies the preeminence, the, the, the preeminence meaning most important, highest. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's the end of our memory verse. And as I said, it, it would be good to, to spend some time with this passage of scripture that goes on. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, make him Lord, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is one of the key scriptures that gives us the beliefs that we find in the Apostles' Creed. Let's talk about Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. So number one is the, we, the, the first part is biblical literacy. So let's talk about the truth, that Jesus is fully divine, appointed Savior and Lord. Jesus is the fully divine, appointed Savior and Lord. Luke chapter 2, verse 11, <clears throat> the announcement of the angels to the shepherds. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And what you find <clears throat> in many of the scriptures that describe Jesus is these multiple terms about him. And so the first one we see is Jesus, which means Savior or Jehovah is salvation. It was a name that was to be given to the Messiah. Um, it's the New Testament version of Joshua. Jehovah saves. Savior or Jehovah saves. Names are, were in that day were very important. And so when the angels came, when the angel came to both Mary and Joseph and said, you shall name him Jesus, that was an important moment. It was, it was emphasized to both of them. Because that was to be his name. 
the name of salvation. Because in that culture, names indicated something. And I can imagine when the angel came to Mary and Joseph, it would have been a very important moment. So maybe even taking them aback because the naming of a son in that culture was important to name them after somebody in your family line as an indication of honor and direction. But they didn't have that option because the father determined what his name was going to be. And his name was to be Jesus. Why? Savior. He, from, from the time he was born, he would have this name that would indicate his, who he was and what his role was going to be. Jehovah saved. Now there were a lot of people named Jesus. And so there had to be some other things about him. Which brings us to so the, the second piece, and that is Christ. So Jesus is his name as a person. Christ then is the, uh, identifies him as uh, the anointed one. The Greek translation of the word Messiah. So he is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the deliverer, the one who will um, come in a, a redemptive work. He will be prophet, priest, king, and deliverer of his people. And so Jesus is his name. That's what he would be called. Christ is a title that he was given. And that's where, so when um, Jesus says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? That's why Peter's response was, you are the Christ. So you are Jesus, that's your name. But you are the Christ. Your title, your office is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Which brings us to the next piece, and that His only, His only. So you are Jesus, or, or G, we believe in Jesus, the, the... Come back, brain, come back, come back, come back. Yeah. We believe in Jesus, His only Son, our Lord. So his only. Unique is probably the best translation of that. Unique. He was unique as his, as his only son. In John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Only meaning unique in class or kind. In a class all by himself. In the King James, it is mistranslated. His only begotten son. That's not really the, the, the best meaning of it. In our, because 400 years after the King James, different words mean different things. And so begotten has been misunderstood as, well, he was born. He, 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 he hasn't always existed. He, would, he just came into creation when he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. But that's not what that word means. The word is monogamies, and it means unique, one of a kind. And so for God so loved the world, he gave his only one of a kind son. He was unique in a class by himself. His only son, then, unique 
in a specific relationship as a son to a father. So Jesus is unique as the, um, the, the son of God. And we're going to see what that means in just a moment. Because what you find in the Bible is you also have, we're, if we accept Christ as Savior, we're called sons of God. Lowercase s. But Jesus is the only, he's the unique son of God. Unique in a specific relationship as a son to the father. If we go back to the Old Testament, we find the, the story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham was an old, old, older than me, old. His wife was old. They didn't have any kids, but they were promised a child. And over a 25-year period, the promise remained the same until finally they became parents of, what was his name? Isaac. And if you read in the scripture, it describes Isaac as Abraham's only son. But did he have other sons? Yeah, he already, he got way out of alignment with God. And he had Ishmael. After Sarah, his wife, passed away, he remarried and he had more children. So it, it wasn't that Isaac was his only son. It was that Isaac was his unique son of the promise. That's who Jesus is. He is the only one of his kind, and he is unique in his relationship with the Father. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word, capital W, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father. Unique as of his kind, always existed, and unique and in relationship with the Father, full of grace and truth. And so here, what we see is the picture of the Father and Son are human terms that help us understand the relationship between the members of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All God, all divine. And, but the analogy breaks down because we, we don't have the mind of God. Right? We, we, can't, we can't comprehend. And so he gives us pictures of what this relationship is. We believe, what is it? In Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Lord, absolute power, with some messianics overtone of kingship and authority. Because He is God, fully divine, with the Father and the Spirit, then he is ruler. It is because Jesus is the Christ and because he fulfilled all the responsibilities to die, to be resurrected, to go back to the right hand of the Father, to send the Holy Spirit, that he has earned the role of Lord in our lives. Last week we talked about the otherness of God. There's an otherness of Jesus because he's divine. He is 100% human and 100% divine. And the right response is Thomas when he, Jesus shows up and, and he invites Thomas to put his hands in, his, in the holes in his wrist and in his side. And he claims, my Lord and my God. Since Jesus is the Savior, the Christ, 
though unique son of God, and he's accomplished it, he deserves to be our Lord. But there's a problem because in the Garden of Eden, when God originally created mankind, he put them in the garden and he gave them authority over their lives. He said, uh, I'm, I'm putting you in the garden and you have the choice. You can follow me or you can eat of the forbidden tree. You, I, I'm giving you authority to name the animals. You get to name the animals. You could choose whatever you want. You have authority to take care of the garden and I'll come and, and be with you and, and we'll work on this together. But you ha- I give you authority over your life. You have that choice. And eventually they chose to eat the forbidden fruit. And when they did, turned everything upside down. But God did not take away their authority, their freedom to choose. So Jesus is not Lord unless we surrender that authority to him. Did you hear me? Jesus is not Lord of our lives. So he gets blamed for not doing a lot of things that we don't give him authority or permission to do. That's why we we talk about surrender, listen, and obey. That's why you see when Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, then you have to uh, take up your cross every day and follow me. You have to lay down your life. You have to surrender your authority. You have to give permission for me to be king of your life. And until you do that, I'll be here, but I'm not going, I will not take that from you. That's why he will not override our will. Jesus is Lord of those who give him lordship. Which brings us then to worldview. So that's who Jesus is. He is the Christ. He is the only son. And he's Lord when we allow him to do that. Worldview is how do we see? So with this truth in mind, how do we see everything? How, do we, how does it shift us to see through God's eyes as he transforms us? Um, and so this worldview is that Jesus is God. He is the Savior and he is the Lord. Implications then are that Jesus is divine. Jesus is fully God, which was a big deal when they were writing both the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed because there was, there was, there was a lot of debate on who Jesus really was and when he became divine and, and all those things. Here's what we know. Jesus has always, he's God, so he has always existed. He has all of the same characteristics that we talked about last week. Fully God, and he's a per, one person of the Trinity. Fully God, he's eternal. He has always been. And so um, Jesus is the only way to God, is another of the implications. Right? So if he is, if he is the Christ, if he's the only son, only son of God, and he, is, and he needs to be Lord, then there's no other way to God. There are no other ways. Did you hear me? There are no other ways. Anyone who ever comes to God comes through Jesus, even if they don't know his name. Because what we, what we discover is that there were people who are trying to worship him when, um, in, throughout history that didn't really know who he was, but they... They had been drawn by the Spirit to him. No other name except by Jesus. And he's going to rule forever. He's Lord. He's going to rule forever. Um, 
And then uh, finally, the, the implication is that the devil constantly attacks everything about Jesus. Do you know why? Because he defeated him. And he is the Savior. He is the Christ. Um, and so what, what we see is when, G, when Jesus, when uh, the, the angel comes to um, Joseph and Mary, and then he is conceived, now the devil knows that that's how God's going to work out this plan. And by the time he's two years old, already the devil has manipulated the, uh, the authorities on earth to the place where he tries to kill him. Remember? The order at two, when Jesus was about two years old, the wise men show up and they let Herod in on it. And, they, and Herod puts out the order and ends up killing all these, two, all, all these children two years and younger. The devil, and he never stopped. As we, as we go forward, what we see is throughout Jesus' ministry, over and over, the devil kept trying to kill him. Early in his ministry, when he goes to Nazareth, he goes back to his hometown and he, and he announces that he's the Christ and they try to push him off a cliff. And he just walks right through them. Because he's Lord and he's God and, he, and the devil doesn't have any power except what he's allowed. But all through his life, there's this effort to dismiss. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 6 then. Luke chapter 6. We're headed into the really good part. In Matthew chapter 7, we hear um, the, the, in the, that version of the Sermon on the Mount, we hear something very similar to what we read in Luke chapter 6, where Luke records, um, perhaps on a different occasion, when Jesus is teaching the same truth. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you say that I'm your dad and this is my car and you said you would follow my instructions in order to get your license and then when we get to the corner of Grove Road and Library Road and I tell you not to turn, you turn anyway. Well, you, but, but dad, I knew better. Now we never say that to God, do we? Anytime we know what God wants us to do and we don't do it, we're doing the same thing that my son did in that car. We're saying, I know better. What kind of stupidity does it take in order to say that to God? If Jesus is going to be Savior and Lord, we have to surrender our authority to him and that means we are the servants and he is God. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? And not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. And so Jesus said, just, just because I'm Lord, you ought to do what I tell you. But here's the benefit of making me Lord. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. In other words, if you're doing what I tell you to do, there's still going to be storms. In this life, you're going to have tribulation, but be a good cheer. I've overcome the world. There's going to be storms. There's going to be hard things. And because you're, we're serving God, the devil's going to come after you even harder. 
but be of good cheer because he says, when those floods come and they break against the house and in, and in other people's lives, it will destroy them. You will not be shaken. Not because of who you are, not because of how good you are or how much you know the Bible, but because you're doing what I tell you to do. And you will be built on the solid ground. But the one who hears, notice, they still hear, and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. If you know what to do, now, so look around at our culture and people who call themselves Christians, and the, but they're not doing what God wants them to do, and the result is they're being shoved off the foundation, and they're following after other things, and they're wondering where God is because they're not following Him. And they're, they're experiencing... Um, they're, they're not experiencing what God has for them, but they're living on their own. And as a result, they're collapsing around us. There's no peace. There's no joy. There's, there's no confidence that God is really in control and that he's going to guide because he's not going to guide if he's not Lord. Yep. And Lord means you do what he tells you to do. Mm-hmm. So we come to application. How do we live with Christ as Lord in this upside down world? Regardless of anything in our culture, we obediently live for Christ as Savior and Lord, always asking, what does the Bible say? And then doing it. I should add that. <laughs> it's not enough to ask. It's not enough to discover. It's, you have to do it. So he's anointed Messiah, Savior, divine, 100% God. And, and yet... The devil and the, and the culture tries to get us to view his lordship as optional. You see, the reality is Jesus is Messiah. He is Christ. He is the unique son of God. That, nothing's ever going to change that. But he's only Lord when we do what he tells us to do. We, as human beings, like to hold on to our independence, don't we? And we do not like being told what to do. Uh, you know, we like telling other people what to do. Yeah. <laughs> but we don't like being told what to do. There, there's, so, there's something in us that, you know, our hackles get up when, when somebody tries to tell us, even if it's somebody that l- we know loves us and cares about us, you you, you know, you're telling, and we, and so we translate that to God who has every right as Lord to tell us what to do as it, and we get offended by what he tells us to do. It's not optional. It's also, if you're taking notes, write this down. It's usually in small incremental compromises. It's not usually in the big stuff. I mean, if you've been a Christian any length of time, you, you kind of got the big stuff. I'm not going to kill somebody. You know, I'm not going to do, you know, 
horrible, horrible, obviously horrible things. No, it's in the small compromises. And so as Lord, you know, if, if he tells me, so I'll go, my personally, as an example, a number of years ago, God very clearly said he wants me to begin my day on my knees. I, I've prayed for decades, but, and this was something, for, I mean, I'd gotten on my knees from time to time, but no, every day on my knees. To not do that, to just say, oh, you know, I woke up late, I'm busy, I, you know, I'll get on. You know, there's a group of people waiting for me on Sunday at 10 o'clock that, you know, I need to. No, I, that's, that's a little compromise. Just a little compromise. It's the little ones that will get you. Because what you find is those little compromises, I'm, I, I'm in essence saying, God, I'm going to be my own Lord. And eventually, it wears away at the foundation so that my house is no longer built on the rock. So let's talk about it. Colossians chapter 3. Let's go back to that again. Oh, I'm sorry. This is, this is two chapters later. Colossians chapter 3. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ, what that means is, let what he says live here, occupy your mind, occupy your thoughts. And so that we're constantly asking, what does the Bible say? And then teaching and admonishing one another with all the wisdom. That was one of the themes from yesterday, is accountability, is locking arms with each other. One of, them, one of the uh, speakers said, you need somebody in your life to, that you get permission to be nosy to reach into your life and to challenge you. Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thanksgiving and thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, here it is, whatever you do, what does it mean to make Jesus Lord of our lives? It's not just gathering and singing. It's not just coming to no regrets. It's not just coming to learning community and doing all the right things. It's in whatever you do in the incremental moment-by-moment times, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the name means to represent him and to honor his name. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. So here, here obediently honor Jesus with every word. Amen. Every word that comes out of your mouth ought to be honoring to him. Yes. Every single word. False religions, my observation, seem to be more protective of the name of their false god than oftentimes American Christians are of Jesus. This is meddling. There, there's a phrase, OMG. I don't even want to say the words out loud. OMG. That is popular in our culture and I hear it coming out of the mouths of people who claim to be honoring to Christ, and it is dishonoring to God. Yes. Every word. Every word. Part of the reason is because Satan is on the prowl to give, to dishonor, dismiss Jesus at every turn. Amen. There should not be a, anything about God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit coming out of our mouths that is not honoring to him. Mm -hmm. Because the enemy tries to get us 
um, to, to you, use Jesus' name in, or God's name in other ways. So if, if that is a phrase that you use, stop it. If you are using Jesus' name in any way other than to honor him, stop it. Because it's, it's playing right into the devil's hands. There's a comedian that came to one of our communicators' workshops, Darren Streblo, who has a, a little skit that he does about honoring Jesus' name. He says, have you ever noticed that other religions do not... Are, 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 have you ever noticed that, that nobody uses the names of the gods of other religions as swear words? Like they do Jesus. And he says, nobody stubs their toe and says, oh, Buddha. What do they say? They use God's name. Nobody says, um, Harry H. Krishna, when they get angry. It, that's not an accident. It's because we have an enemy who is on the prowl trying to dishonor the name of the one true God and his only son and the Holy Spirit. Every word, every word ought to honor him. Protect Jesus' name and his reputation. There's a, uh, my, um, I think it was one of my kids, or maybe a friend of mine, um, loved uh, Monty Python. And I, I, you know, the Holy Grail, you know, I think that was the first one. It's kind of a fun movie. But then they did one called The Life of Brian. And because my friend liked Monty Python, I, I started watching it one years ago. And as soon as I started watching it, my heart just, it felt like a knife was put, put through my, my heart. Because it's so degrading of who Jesus is. And yet, there, I know Christians who will watch it, oh, go, you know, you, you just have to, it's just humor, it's just, it's just, no, it's not. Every word, every word needs to honor Jesus. Mm-hmm. Obediently honor Jesus with every word. Mm-hmm. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you watch. Be careful what you say. Honor Jesus. Obediently honor Jesus with every action. Be passionate about representing him as the one through Christ, the Lord. Mm -hmm. Be careful about those compromises. Be careful about those little things that you don't think are a big thing. And yet there's this, the the Holy Spirit is, you know, keeps whispering in your ear saying this is important. Every action. Um, I love... Lincoln talking about we need to be nice to even the friends who don't like us, who are mean to us. And yet there's this, there's something in the Christian community that, you know, we want to do the Arnold Schwarzenegger thing of, you know, we're going to be the hero. You know, we're not going to let people get away with that. And yet that's the opposite of Jesus, isn't it? He could, there's a song that says he could have called 10,000 angels. And he didn't, because that wasn't the Father's will. You see, that's the question. What does the Bible say? Obediently honor Jesus in every relationship. In every relationship. Um, in every, with, with every person. Um, see, that's... The, when we give in to our anger, or we give in to our hurt... And we don't treat other people the way that Jesus would treat them. 
we're dishonoring Jesus and he's not Lord. Years ago, uh, one of our neighbors lived several houses down, um, yelled at our daughter. Our daughter was elementary age, and I forget even what the situation was. But I, th- I think she was, there was a kind of an alleyway that cuts through the neighborhood, and all the kids use it, and she was going through. And, and this neighbor just took her to task. I'm thinking, what in the world is that? And, and my father hackles got up. And I marched down there, and, <laughs> and, I, and I knocked on the door, and I said, I don't know what you're doing, but this, she's just a little kid. You need to be nice to her. You need to be kind to her. And they just came right back at me, and, you know, you'd get off our porch. And, one. This, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm a pastor. I have the authority to tell you what to do, and I'm going to try. <laughs> and we didn't solve anything. And we created all kinds of... And then they started telling the neighbors about me coming over and yelling at them. And I'm going, oh. A few weeks later, um, Sheila and I were coming back from some, somewhere. And uh, so she was driving and I was kind of kicked back in the other seat. I don't try to tell her not to turn. <laughs> yeah, I just close my eyes and rest. And I, was, I remember I was leaning back in the passenger seat, minding my own business. And I heard the Spirit of God say, you need to go down there and apologize. And my first reaction was, no, they need to apologize to my daughter. <laughs> yeah. You know, you never, so just a word of advice. Just do what God tells you to do because you never win an argument. He'll just keep after you until you do what he tells you to do or you walk away. And so, the, for, so for the rest of the half hour on our way home, I'm, I'm, I got my eyes closed and I'm wrestling. I'm going, no, I don't, I don't want it. By the time I got home, I knew I had to go down there and apologize. So I went down there and I knocked on the door. And the, the look on the face... Of the man of the, of the husband, you know, <laughs> was he thought I had a gun or something, you know? He thought I was coming back for more. Of, and so I said, "Hey, I, I, I don't know what all went on, but I, I want to apologize for the words that I said and the attitude that I had and the accusations that I made. Now, I don't remember what all I said, and you could see the look on his face just changed." He opened the door and he reached out and he, and he, and he said, oh, yeah, it's no big deal. It's, it's fine. Everything's fine. And it was. From that time on, it was fine. Now, what happens if I say, no, I'm not going to apologize? I don't know all that, all that happens, but here's what I do know. Way, way, way more than I realize. Mm-hmm. Because the ramifications in my soul are big. The ramifications in that other person's life may be huge. The ramifications in the neighborhood might be huge. I, I, I don't know what it is, but here's what I do know. God knows he's love and he wants to guide our lives in the best way possible for his purposes, even when it's hard. 
those are the times when Jesus is either Lord, when we say yes, or he's not. And do it as fast as possible. Because there have been times when I put it off and it just gets worse and worse inside of me. It just gets worse and worse and worse. Obediently honor Jesus in every relationship. Every relationship. Let me emphasize that. There are no exceptions. There are no outliers. There are no, you know, but Pastor Herb, you don't know how honory and mean and nasty that coworker is. I don't care. God does. He knows. Yep. So, we experience God's presence at the level we make Him Lord. You might want to write that one down. We experience God's, if you, if you want to experience God's presence deeply, just keep saying yes and make Him Lord. So, who's behind the wheel of your life? In the words that you speak, the actions that you take, and the relationships that you have. Who is Jesus to you? Do my words honor Christ? Every single one of them? Do my actions honor Christ? Do my relationships honor Christ? That doesn't mean everything is going to go the way that you want it to. I'm saying for you, what is it God wants you to do? We believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. Would you bow your heads? Lord, we know that we have just touched the surface of all that you are. But I pray that the words that we've looked at today would lodge themselves deep within us. Lord, that you would give us the courage and the strength to um, turn our will, the authority of our lives over to you more fully than we ever have before trusting that you are not only Lord, but you love us beyond comprehension. God, I pray that you would point out those places that we're still holding on to. I pray that you would help us to hold one another accountable and that everything about us would honor you. In the name of Jesus, we place ourselves into your hands. Amen.